welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast, where show after show, we bring you a different way to think about teaching Pilates. We make you dig deep, ask the tough questions, and keep unraveling the rich layers of teaching movement. I'm Chantel Lopez, founder of Skillful Teaching, an international education company just for Pilates and movement teachers, and author of Moving Beyond Technique. I am so gratefully joined in this delightful and crazy endeavor by my sometimes co-host and podcast co-founder, master teacher, and mentor, Deborah Colway. Welcome to episode 33, starring one of our new co-hosts, mentor and teacher, Trinity Minty. Now, even though we're technically one-third of the way to 100 shows, it somehow feels like this is still only our second episode. We've gotten so much wonderful feedback as a response to our new and improved production and to the additional elements that I'm having that same giddy feeling as when we first launched the podcast more than two years ago, which is super cool. And I'm particularly excited about today's podcast because not only do we get to be a part of an interesting discussion that challenges the way we think about some of what we teach, it's all about questioning and not taking things at face value. We're also going to witness something that for me is truly tremendous, something that deeply reflects the why of what I do. Now today's show is a kind of debut, the debut of an idea that's been percolating in Trinity for several years, but also the debut of Trinity herself, moving from an authority in her studio, an expert to her students, to an authority on a broader stage, bringing her ideas, insights, and passions to bear on a larger audience. Now, Trinity has been training with me for nearly seven years, and for the past two and a half or so, she's been moving down the path to becoming a mentor and a teacher of teachers. She now helps organize our mentoring discussions, runs group calls, engages in one-on-one coaching with teachers from around the country, and co-facilitates our flagship 28-day Fulfilled and Successful Pilates Teacher online course. She's worked so hard to develop her own voice and to discover how to share that voice through writing, teaching, and presenting, and it's truly spectacular to see her making such a significant impact on other teachers. Most of the time these days, I can't help but think, damn, that girl has gotten really, really good. And that, to me, is what it's all about. Helping teachers dig deep and find their most courageous, inspired, and sincere voices and to share them in the biggest way they can imagine. I think it's time we let Trinity have her fair share of the show. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast as we explore some familiar areas of teaching but push the edges and question some of our most enduring Pilates rules. I am really excited to be joined by Trinity Minty this morning. And this is part of a new beginning. And if you listened to the last episode, you know that we've been working on um, spit shining and polishing the podcast. Trinity is a teacher that I have known for quite some time now and um, am honored to say is, as you heard in the introduction, one of the Skillful Teaching Mentors. Trinity is also going to be one of the co-hosts of the Thinking Pilates podcast on a more regular basis. So I'm excited about this, our first official co-hosting. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. (laughs) Um, Good morning. Yeah, Trinity and I, of course, are are um, not strangers to uh, long, thoughtful, uh, sometimes slightly meandering conversations about the Pilates work and movement and um, teaching philosophy. So it's um, going to be really fun to share that with all of you. We are starting this new venture with what I think is an incredibly valuable topic: discernment and integration. And that's uh, a little vague, perhaps. 
but I think you'll you'll figure out pretty quickly what we're up to here. Um, the idea of discernment and integration, integration of of knowledge, of information, of technique, of skill is really what we're talking about, has been an an idea uh, that we've been kind of percolating um, on and uh, uh, revolving around or orbiting around for the, quite some time explicitly or overtly as a group, uh, a skillful teaching um, mentoring group. We've been kind of diving into these concepts and ideas for a, a time now. It originally started uh, maybe two years ago when I created the web um, the webcast uh, series. It was a short four video series, three or four video series on the th three dangerous cues, Pilates cues. Um, where I really wanted to just address some of the things that we take for granted in our work, things that are passed down that are not necessarily benefiting us or we're not really using in a way that is um, thoughtful. And that's not to say, um, you know, as it's not a negative judgment necessarily, but just a realization that maybe there are things that we do and we say as... Um, uh, we just take for granted. There's another term I'm looking for, but um, I can't find it right now. So it started there. Um, I don't know when it was, Trinity. You'll have to help me remember when the Fearless Teaching article came out. Maybe, oh, that was after, uh, I think, my first interaction with James Crater. Is that right? That was maybe, what, six months ago? Maybe not quite that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, it was actually the summer of 2000. 2016, so maybe just a hair over six months ago. Yeah, and then the summer before that, though, this this issue mm -hmm. or this conversation was really coming up in a big way for you. Why don't you tell us about how how it's kind of been um, planting its seeds in you, this idea of discernment and integration? So uh, you and I actually were in Colorado at the Pilates Center. I can't recall the name of the conference, but we were there for a conference. And uh, while we were there, we took a class with Deborah Colway, a, a duet. So it was just the two of us, and Deborah taught us. And we were doing something uh, on the chair top. I want to say the 100, maybe single leg stretch, something that required us to be in an abdominal curl. And... I don't remember a specific verbal cue that Deborah used, but she came over and put her hands on me in a way that I would say helped me to uh, draw my rib cage back towards the chair top a little more and maybe soften through the sternum uh, towards the back body a little more. And what it created was the slightest amount of maybe not being so wide in the collarbones. And it was a slight, subtle uh, adjustment, and it really spoke volumes to me um, regarding specific cues that we use for abdominal curl as far as exercises like single leg stretch on the 100, um, and how maybe there's... Maybe there's some little... There's some play there that we can use to create a stronger abdominal curl and maybe it has to do with 
allowing the collarbones to, oh my gosh, not be so wide. So <laughs> that was just this little, that was just the little seed for me that was, you know, the, one of those moments that it, you have this awakening. And so from there, I really started to think a lot about the, like you said, the cues that we use that have been passed down that we haven't, um, really put maybe a ton of thought into, especially very early on in our teaching, right? It's a matter mm-hmm, of getting mm-hmm. the words out and watching the bodies move. Uh, and then as you as you get more and more experience in your teaching, most likely you find yourself questioning those cues that you've heard, you know, so much. And maybe there's a maybe there's a more efficient way or some uh, some variables that are allowed to come in in those in those types of cues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you were talking um, you know really specifically about discernment, and this is something that we addressed in a two part podcast series last year with Deborah. You and another teacher from our mentoring group were. Um, uh, talking with us at one point um, about opportunities to discern within our teaching, right? And what that looked like for you and how that had come about and and maybe where it led you to. We also did another podcast with two other teachers. So we were looking at discernment from different perspectives. So this idea has been, as I said before, kind of with us for a while Um, Right after that summer, it's the summer conference that the Pilates Center hosts, you came home and you wrote an article and called uh, Discernment and Integration. And so we're we're actually going to be posting that on the Skillful Teaching uh, website as a blog post, which I'm really, really excited about. So I encourage you guys to look at that after you're done listening to just get a better idea of some of, um, well, it's really going to reiterate, I think, a lot of what we're going to talk about on the podcast the the way that this idea has come into uh, real life for us uh, most recently is in a mentoring workshop that we hosted in December, and Trinity brought this idea to the table in a lab um, type setting where we had a really wonderful and rich discussion, and then we played a little bit with the what ifs. You know, where do we get stuck in our teaching? How are we, you know, not really analyzing these cues fully, um, maybe, you know, looking at how some of the most common cues, and we're going to get into this, are preventing us from really seeing the bigger picture or getting to a place of, you know, richer movement or uh, better efficiency, you know, lots of, lots of things, lots of potential, I think, in there in terms of exploration. But let's go back just a moment and talk about you know, what, what, what is this idea of, um, discernment and how, how does it relate to integration of new information, right? That's so whether or not we're a new teacher and we're entering a teacher training program and we're like a sponge, right? The thirsty sponge and we're taking everything in and everything feels very powerful. And we're like, we just, we're believing everything that we're, we're handed, which is totally fine. I mean, this is just, We're talking about developmentally as we move into something new, this is, this is the way it it has to be, right? We have to, we have to go into something with openness and with trust and with a sense of like, give, you know, I'm ready to receive. So we're not necessarily showing up 
with, um, you know, even the, the background, the ability, the history, the experience to ask um, questions that would lead to discernment. So, so there's that. Or we can be further down the line and discernment looks a little bit uh, different. So Trinity, let, will you launch us into this idea of um, discernment in terms of integrating new information? Like what's this, what's this all about for you? So, like like you said, and like we've talked about already, uh, you know, it's, it is very easy to simply repeat what what you've been told, and um, as far as cues go to achieve whatever your particular action that you're looking for, whatever the organization is, and then whatever the movement is. Um, so, my thought around this is that we... So most of us, you know, just from what I experience, most of us as Pilates teachers are super education and information hungry. We we want the workshops, regardless of, of if we are looking for PMA credits or not. We want the continuing education. We want the inspiration. We want to work with those teachers who... Um, have have either been in the been in the business for a long long time and are well established as Pilates professionals or the you know maybe new and up up and coming professionals that have something a little new and different and, and maybe even something that challenges our way of thinking um so we go to the we get our continuing ed and we're excited and we want to go back and we want our students to be just as excited as we are and so maybe we uh, you know, just leap in head first mm -hmm. and we change a lot of things or we, um, uh, or, and, and in turn, you know, overwhelm our students, kind of leave them wondering like, what's, what's happening here? This is not what I'm used to. So, um, so I've been thinking a lot about this and how when we get our continuing education or even moments of inspiration, how do we, do we have a method for integrating that information? Do we um, offer it all? Do we feel maybe a sense of overwhelm ourselves and so we don't offer any of it? Or we offer some, but maybe it's coming across in a way that um, potentially looks like how you've been doing, like you're saying, this is how we've been doing it, you know, however, however it is, and we're going to do it like this, but it comes across as that, that other way was wrong and this way is right. And that's not, I don't feel like that's ideal either for integrating new information. So my thought is maybe there is a super thoughtful way to, and maybe some method to integrating new information. And I really think that this begins before you're going to integrate information. It begins in your approach to teaching, um, your approach to teaching before you even have new information to integrate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And I, and I want to get into that because you outlined some, some ideas in the article about what we can do and how we can kind of cultivate our teaching skills in a way that support this very thoughtful and discerning approach for taking new information and sharing it with our students. But I wanted, I wanted to say that integrating new information 
it, for me, what this means is if I'm looking at a timeline, I'm looking at a, you know, at a chart of line between like I'm becoming a Pilates teacher uh, and I'm getting information for the first time, right, about something, about the Pilates method, about the body, about biomechanics, about anatomy, about, you know, all of these things. This is the first moment I'm being given this knowledge. And so that's the beginning of this timeline. And then way down the line, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, 25 years and beyond, we, we also then have these moments and opportunities where we're being handed different ways of looking at biomechanics and anatomy and function and, and the way an exercise can be, you know, expressed or done or, you know, outside of the Pilates method, obviously, you know, different, different ideas and approaches to movement. So no matter where you are, right, integrating new information happens at the very beginning where we're a blank slate that's still integrating new information, right. but it's a different level of discernment, right? So this, this, timeline is the discernment timeline. It's like, how does discernment, how do you cultivate this idea of discernment, which I'm going to just say for me is about questioning, uh, and questioning in a way that is not like, um, what would I say? Um, uh, defensive, right? It's not questioning out of defense or it's not questioning out of trying to prove somebody wrong and yourself, right? It's about thoughtfulness and it's about curiosity. So we'll just kind of frame frame this idea of discernment through the eyes of, of questioning and curiosity. So there's one level of that that happens at the beginning of the timeline and a different level or evolution of discernment through, through the timeline as we as we get more experienced with you know the thing that we're teaching, movement in this case. So questioning, right? Questioning and getting curious, being curious. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, so whether we're talking about the example I used earlier and, and which you have also touched on is for a lot of us, even if we've been teaching for a long time, we really have never questioned some of the things that have been given to us. And that's problematic, you know, and that's the, that's the idea behind, um, behind the three, you know, dangerous cues webinar thing that I'm happy to share with you all again, um, which I think is quite valuable and, and pretty interesting. There are some things that we've been doing as an industry, as a profession. Um, we're uh, de definitely seeing a shift, which is lovely as, as there's kind of more, more of us, um, creating safe space for exploration and, and challenging, Again, not in a defensive kind of way, but just in a, in a like, well, let's just see if there's something else here, if some, there's some other outcome. So the, the questioning of, of those things that have been passed down to us, and I'm just going to throw these things out here. So the things that are always at the top of my mind or are cues like shoulders down, shoulders in your back pockets. Um, you know, we don't really hear so much like squeeze your shoulder blades together. Most people kind of have a sense of how that's, you know, fairly one dimensional and, and ineffective in most cases. Although obviously there are moments when that's appropriate, when that's actually what we're looking for, which is fine. Um, and I'm good. Um, shoulders down, shoulders in your back pockets, um, uh, pubic bone into the mat, right? If we're talking about setting up for extension and, and some of you who've listened to me or, or worked with me have heard me talk about this, uh, almost ad nauseum in the last couple of years, you know, lifting the navel literally up off the floor 
as if, uh, you know, there's this, this, this phrase, which you've probably heard, like the mouse house, you know, and, you know, like a little space for a mouse to live, a robin's egg, a diamond, an ice cube, you know, we're prone and, and we're getting ready to go into some extension movement. And what we're doing is, you know, we're asking the body to lift the navel physically off the ground so that essentially the spine is in flexion. So that is problematic, but it is something, it's like a, it's a, um, a colloquialism, right? For the Pilates method. It's like, that's, those are the things that have been navel to spine is a really, you know, prominent example of something that's been passed down that's become very much rooted and ingrained in the way that we teach. Uh, and, but, and so we never question it because, you know, it's like, it's, it's how we activate the quote unquote core. It's how, you know, we activate um, the, you know, the powerhouse, uh, navel to spine. And we just think, yeah, that's great. That's very efficient. That's a, that, you know, it's uh, catchy. It's easy to say. It's easy to remember. It gets people to tighten up their abs. And we do that and we kind of take that in and we see some, we, we see a reaction, right? We see that the body responds to that. So that's, we think, okay, we're affirmed in the fact that there's, there's some action uh, that's moving us in the direction we think we're trying to take our students. And this is, this is where it gets a little bit tricky because discernment can only happen, um, the level of discernment can only happen based on your previous experience or knowledge. Would you agree with that? Right? The yeah. Trinity yeah. The level of discernment, okay, is dictated in part by that. So, so what we expect of ourselves or other teachers, it really, you know, we have to hold that as the context. Um, so sometimes we don't really know, you know, what's happening physiologically in the body when we say navel to spine until much later down the line, which is okay. But at some point, you know, it's like, what is actually happening with that cue? And is the body responding in the way that, that is one, what I'm really wanting and two, in a way that is most efficient. So, you know, questioning these things, uh, that are, our standards are, you know, kind of standardized cues. That's one element of, of, of this idea. And then more to what Trinity was just talking about is the idea of at some point, you know, as we keep, as we keep learning and we continue to, to seek out knowledge and seek out information, are we, are we still just doing that, right? Are we still just getting excited about an idea and then, and then just taking it as the gospel and, and, you know, then it, then it becomes also about our delivery, right? Are we delivering it as if like, this is the new, right? This is the new, way to do it. It's the better way. And as you said, Trinity, everything else I was doing before and you were doing before, it's totally wrong, right? Which can be overwhelming and demotivating and um, just confusing uh, to our students. And ultimately, I think it, it's, it's not really, it's not only ineffective, it doesn't really last, right? So yeah, it also, it impedes progress. Mm-hmm. If you think you've been moving in a direction towards, let's say, spinal extension, you're moving towards spinal extension, you're moving towards building more connections, you're moving toward um, a stronger, more whole spinal extension, or so you think, and then, and then when, you, when your teacher comes in potentially and says, this 
this way is wrong, but this other way is right, it kind of leaves you like at square one again, or maybe even not even at square one, because you have to potentially unlearn what how you've been trying to get to this place, and then learn this whole other method, which is where the questioning comes in. So Mm -hmm. not only do are the questions, excuse me, not only are the questions important for us to ask ourselves, but they're important for us to ask our students for feedback from them as far as how does it feel? What's, you know, it's, it's your body. How does it feel? How does it feel in spinal extension to push your pubic bone into the floor? So essentially you're flexing the lumbar spine, but then I want you to extend through the thoracic. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's okay to extend through the through the entire spine and maybe it feels better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is your premise. I mean, this is the premise of the article too. And I think it's, it's, it's maybe been, uh, if not the final answer, but definitely something that you, you have correlated to how do we mitigate this for ourselves, uh, and for our students, this idea of, uh, discerning and integrating new information. And so the, the baseline is, is asking questions. Um, and so from my perspective, so maybe what we'll do is let's talk about it in terms of getting, getting, uh, yourself as a teacher used to asking questions of your students. So what's that look like? Like what's, how does that play out? Why is that important to give us a little bit more, um, detail about that what do you what's your what's your thinking so I've, I've found in my teaching that um I get uh, I get the question a lot from my students am I doing this right mm-hmm. uh and so that's like a great place to turn that back around and offer ownership to the student because it is it is their body and they are having their experiences and, and their bodies are different each day. So um, that question is a great question that I really appreciate because it offers me a super easy way to turn around and say, ask my questions about, well, um, how's it feel to you? When you make this little adjustment, whatever it happens to be, um, maybe it's a slightly different cue uh, about engaging the abdominals or allowing the abdominals to support the spine in extension um, besides, uh, you know, press your pubic bone into the mat. So try it like this, try it like that. What is your experience? Does Does one feel more easeful and more supported? Does it not? Does it, or, or if it doesn't, are there little adjustments that you can make that, you know, if you're speaking to your student, uh, that are going to uh, find a more supported, um, complete, powerful spinal extension? Mm-hmm. And this is actually something that um, I do in, in my teaching in general. And then just this last summer, I had uh, – the experience of working with James Crater a bit. And I noticed right away in his teaching that he does this a bunch mm-hmm. and he's super good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was another piece. So, you know, just this very subtle manual cue from Deborah Colway the summer before last, and then, and then taking classes with James Crater this uh, most recent summer. And those in, in combination with the, um, the fearless teaching article that you had written and the, uh, 
um, the webinar about the most, you know, potentially the most dangerous cues that we can use as Pilates teachers. So over this long, somewhat long period of time, the pieces of this whole idea have been coming together for me. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really, um, it's really, really valuable to ask your students questions in that way because uh, it gives you feedback as far as what's happening in their bodies and it offers them an opportunity to uh, re really be in control of their movement practice and not just that um, not just that experience, I don't know who said this, it, it wasn't me, but of having sort of like Pilates done to them. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. You know, we want to offer and, and empower them to to explore and to make their own connections and to trust what's happening in their own bodies. And and I think that really has to happen by, uh, by asking questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is the parallel between what I would say my major piece of advice would be if somebody said, well, how do I, how do I show up to my teacher training with, with, you know, this idea of discernment in mind, like, what am I actually going to do? Because if I show up and I'm ready to question everything, then, then, then I'm just, there's nowhere, there's nowhere solid to land, right? There's no place to just sit and be and listen and absorb and hear. Um, it, and so it's not about questioning everything. What I think we're talking about is uh, this parallel between as a teacher, when we're asking our students these kinds of very evocative questions, um, as you said, it does put them in a, in a position of power. It puts them in a position of ownership. It also teaches them to trust their own experience as the point from which they can um, gain insight and awareness and that they can actually come up with whatever it feels like the quote-unquote right answer can come from their experience, not just from what you're telling them. And one of the classic examples, which I have, uh, you know, undoubtedly found myself uh, saying, but, but at this point in my teaching is one of those things that makes me cringe every time I hear it. Uh, and some teachers do this more than others. And it's not, again, this is not a judgment. This is just an observation. It's just, a, you know, it's just about like becoming aware of how we interact with our students, our information, etc. But the difference between, um, you know, how, what's this feel like when you do this? Or let's try this and then, and then, you know, and then we go through a process of checking in like, you know, where was there, was there more ease? Was there more effort? Was there sensation? Can you, you know, were you able to, to find this or that thing? Um, instead of we get really excited about uh, excited about an idea and i think this happens particularly post uh workshop right it's like the post workshop <laughs> glow um you yeah. know we we get excited we've had an experience um but we then we are we are so sure that everybody else is going to also have this experience that um we we say okay do this thing and we actually can, you know, maybe we see a shift in a positive direction in the body and we go, doesn't that feel awesome? Can't you feel that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome, right? You can feel that. Can you feel how much smoother that is? And the chances are, whether or not your student feels that or not, they're, they're going to feel compelled to acknowledge and affirm that, yes, they do feel it. So in that, like, in our very well-intended excitement about an idea or 
um, a correction or something that we, we think has made a positive shift or should make a positive shift, and we say, you can feel that, right? Oh, didn't you feel how much smoother that was? We're basically robbing our students of the opportunity to check in with their own experience and maybe say, no, I didn't feel anything. Or, you know, no, that didn't feel smooth. That actually felt, you know, really awkward and uncomfortable or, um, you know, whatever it might be. So that this is just like one example of how it can manifest over time, right? This like, if we're not being very thoughtful about how we're framing the delivery of our uh, information in our teaching, then we we can hold our students hostage to to what we think is right or good or you know supposed to supposed to happen. So doing it the other way, right? Asking questions that really allow the student to tap into their own experience. This goes to so the parallel is that. The advice I would give somebody showing up for a, a, a you know teacher training the first time is like, take it all in, take it all, like just be open to everything, you know, just put it all in your bag, put it all in your bag, and then, then your responsibility is to test it. You have to test it. You have to test it through your own body, and that's where discernment happens at that level. It's like you have to, you don't have to have all of the in-depth anatomical or biomechanical knowledge. Like that's not a necessity. It's you have to trust your own experience and you have to decide for yourself, this feels right or this doesn't feel right or this feels better than this other thing or when I talk to myself this way about a movement, this is the outcome and is this the outcome that I'm looking for? Yes or no? Okay, yes, great. That's the, that's what, you know, that's what I'm going to follow. That's what I'm going to go with but I think I'm going to lay these other things aside because they don't feel good they don't, it doesn't align with what feels right in my body or what I've experienced, you know, myself or when I'm watching other people or it doesn't maybe align with um, the experience of my trusted comrades. So, we, but we have to ask those questions of ourselves. So that's how it starts in the beginning when we maybe feel totally, you know, like we're, we're showing up with a lack of knowledge. But when we have a lot of knowledge down the line, um, you know, it still translates in the same way and it translates to how we're teaching by asking these, these, these evocative questions of our, of our um, students. And I think this is, this is what you were talking about earlier. Like this is how discernment uh, and integration starts before there's even new information, right? Is, is getting yes. used to teaching it in this way, right? It's, yeah, I mean, I think that's what we're yes. talking about. Well, while we're talking, the other thing that was coming to my mind is um, as far as asking these questions uh, of yourself and of your students is um, for for many of us, say we're, we're taking continuing education and, you know, maybe this is beyond your, this is, you know, after you're done with your teacher training at some point when you're taking some continue, con, some continuing education, uh, there's such value in both both having your approach to teaching validated by whatever the whatever the teacher is presenting and challenged. And when we have our approaches or our theories or thoughts challenged around what we're how we've been teaching, that is so so amazing and offers us this 
beautiful, beautiful opportunity to question. So you hear something that goes against maybe everything you've heard and every single way that you've done it, it does not mean that it was wrong. It right. simply means, you know, that's how you were doing it before. It's, you know, it's just how you were doing it. Mm-hmm. But what if we, what if we get some new information that just really, you know, cracks our mind open around a movement or, um, you know, specific exercise or working with specific bodies, whatever it happens to be. Um, that is such an incredible opportunity to just, you know, keep digging a little deeper and keep peeling back the layers and maybe discovering new, uh, new connections that, you know, help us to get where we're actually trying to go, help us to really offer some, um, tangible progress to our students, mm-hmm, even if mm-hmm. it's just a, a little shift. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that uh, I would like to see teachers really welcome being challenged in that way. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's really, it's really uncomfortable, right? And it's hard, I think, to, yeah. to willingly <laughs> put ourselves in in that uncomfortable situation. Um, but but I have had the same experience of those moments of being really, really uncomfortable. Like when I notice I bristling, like on the inside, when somebody says something uh, new to me, you know, of course, I have all of my opinions about, uh, you know, things I know and heard and have kind of deduced and, and discerned already. And somebody says something against that, then I'm like, no, no, that's not, that's not <laughs> the way it is. You know, that's just part of, that's just part of me and that's fine. That's part of the process. But when I hear something Mm -hmm. that's new, um, that feels challenging and I can feel myself bristle immediately, then I, then at this stage of the game, there's also like, that's the little, that's the little neon light that starts blinking, like, um, follow this path, follow this path, like, follow me, follow me, follow me. Even though physically, you know, I'm having the experience of resistance, it's uncomfortable, my heart is racing, and I start to have these internal thoughts about, um, you know, that's not what I know, that's not how I understand it, I'm confused, have I been doing it wrong, have I been putting people, you know, in unsafe situations, you know, self-doubt, and, and that kind of questioning, but that neon sign is so compelling, because it's happened enough now that I know that there's, there's bound to be something there. We, one of two things happens, right, from that place. Uh, if we're willing to follow the blinking neon sign is that, one, either we, um, we take the time to be open and thoughtful and embrace the information and say, I'm not sure about this, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to look. I'm willing to look and I'm willing to see what's there and I'm willing to be wrong. I'm, will, I'm just... You know, it's like, that's what it takes to follow that neon sign. It's like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm resisting. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be proven wrong. I don't want to feel like I've failed. You know, all of these things, right? These kind of self-preservation things come up. However, we have to really be willing to be wrong. We have to be willing to be wrong. But being wrong means potentially opening us up to so much more, right? Being so much more. Um, understanding in a deeper way so it's like to follow the neon sign we have to be we have to say yes to being wrong we have to say yes to not knowing and 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 again one of two things happens either we go down that path and we 
we stay open and we stay compassionate both to ourselves and, and to the person who's delivering the information. And we get to the end of our exploration and we go, nope, I, I'm not buying it. And that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. it, right. totally fine. Like, I'm, but okay, affirmed in my, my position, like, that's fine. I still believe what I believed before. I have maybe, I mean, inevitably, we end up with new information um, that, that, you know, that is useful to us because we've gone through this process of, of, of discerning, of questioning, of comparing, of looking at it from different angles. And, and, and in that process, you know, new things arise and we go, oh, yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at this thing or this other thing. So even if we get to the end of the process and we go, I'm not buying it, I'm not going to put that in my toolbox, but look at all the other benefits I've gained, right? That's one outcome. The other outcome is we get to the end of that exploration and we go, holy shit, what? That's crazy. How could that, that is like, that's so cool, you know, and it's, and, Uh and I think that if we, you know, this just takes time and this takes practice of going through this process a lot of times. But I think what happens is we, we can get to the end of that exploration and we can feel like, oh man, look at me. I'm, I have like my big girl pants on now, you know, I'm evolving. (laughs) I'm, you know, I have new, like, that's so cool. I have new skills. I have new information. I can, now I can do a better job rather than focusing on like, I totally suck. I've been doing it wrong. I've been, you know, putting people in unsafe situations. I can't believe, you know, how terrible of a teacher I've been. It's like, that's ridiculous. It's all just ridiculous because it's an evolution process period, right? I mean, it's just, it's just an evolution process. And, and the only way we can become more sophisticated thinkers is by, by time, time and experience and practice. So, to say, you know, to show up at the end of that exploration feeling like, and and it does happen. We do do that. And when we do end up at the end, when we go, oh, damn it, that person is totally right. And, and we go, oh, crap, you know, shoot, you know, I've been doing it wrong. And so, so there, that, that happens. But I think, again, the more we do, the more that we enter into the uh, process, the, the more often we are okay with being wrong and following that neon sign, that neon blinking light, the more we get to the end of the process each time and feeling a little bit more like, all right, well, great. Now I can be better, right? Now I can be better. Now I can be better. And I have, you know, like a million more questions to ask, which is also an inevitability. Um, but it's just so, uh, it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating and so exciting, you know, so, so exciting. Uh, uh, it just makes me think of the fearless teaching article again, you know, and what I see in James Crater is this absolute unadulterated willingness to, to be wrong or to not know and to just show up without any of those kind of constraining expectations about like, oh, you feel that, right? You know, or you know, that he's got it right or he has it figured it, he's got it figured out. It's like, that's to me, um, you know, that's, that's the essence of what we're talking about is, is, is cultivating over a long period of time, uh, with a lot of consistent attention to being curious and, and not being afraid to be wrong, you know, to get to this place where 
it's okay if your student doesn't get it. It's okay if they're maybe a little defensive or combative and they're like, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't feel it. You know, I don't want to do it. You know, it shows up in all kinds of ways. <laughs> but it's like, at some point, like for me, and I think, I think for you too, and you can speak to this, so I'm not just putting words in your mouth, that it's, you know, it's like we're really striving to be able to show up that way you know, with an openness to whatever unfolds, you know, it's, it's proper amounts of preparation. And then also, you know, a, appropriate amounts of, um, letting go, uh, that gets us, you know, ultimately to this place of, of, um, just sweet, sweet discernment, you know? Well, you know, I, I think that Pilates is not static and it, it's, I mean, for Pete's sake, it's a movement practice. <laughs> yeah. So for, for the practitioners, you know, the students, and for us as teachers, it does us zero service to be super static and rigid, just like it does us darn near zero good to be static and rigid in the body. And, the, you know, uh, some time ago, in teacher training, you had us do maybe some word association practice of some sort. And you said that the word was teacher. And my immediate response was perpetual student. So for us as teachers, we're not in a different, we're not in a different realm from our students. I mean, right. they're, they're learning to put the um, exercises into their body and learning to connect with their body and, um, you know, everything from maybe names of exercises all the way up to um, some, you know, really kick-ass progress and something that they never thought that they could do. And the same the same goes for us as teachers. So when we really uh, afford our students and, and create safe space for our students to come and work from exactly where they are in any given day or moment, session, class, whatever it happens to be, in turn, we afford ourselves as teachers that same freedom mm -hmm. to show up exactly where we are. So maybe it means um, that we're feeling uncertain or we, we are resistant or bristling to some sort of new information that we've, uh, that we've just heard. But like you, like you referred to that bristle or that resistance as a flashing neon light, it's it's speaking very loudly and clearly to you so that you can, so that you can use it as an opportunity. It's not, it's not working against you. Resistance is a valuable, valuable tool. Mm -hmm. If you have that. And I hope I'm not just too all over the map. I, I obviously get excited about this stuff, <laughs> but resistance is a valuable tool. It's valuable for us as teachers and it's valuable for our students as well to tune into because when we allow ourselves to just maybe plain old be wrong, it maybe just oversimplify, it is nothing more than a learning opportunity. Right. And people who come to Pilates and people who teach Pilates were, were 
our appetite is insatiable for learning new information and making new connections and integrating and discerning and all of these things. It's, it's such a beautiful relationship and it's, and we're not, we're not so different from our students. We're to, to a large extent, we're, we're in the same boat. We're there to continue to, we're there to continue to both have our, our approaches, um, you know, maybe validated and just absolutely challenged and both of those offer um, a great deal of value in this process and in this practice that we've chosen as our careers and that students have chosen as their, as you know, one uh, or more of their, um, one or one of many of their movement practices. Right. Yeah. Beautifully said. Yeah. It, it is, it, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's such a, a dynamic and rich um, layer of what we do and I think it has you know infinite translation into looking at how we do what we do what the words that we use um, and re- and really just kind of uh, you know un- unraveling that for ourselves a little bit so this is what I would leave everybody with um, a couple of things actually one you know take some time to look over the show notes uh, we've got this really great new section called heroes and pro tips and you're going to see some of um, what we've been talking about more specifically in those pieces of the podcast. So keep listening. And then look in the show notes because we'll give a link to the Fearless Teaching article, uh, the, the Dangerous Cues uh, webinar, and um, uh, the links to the other two podcasts that we did on discernment. And just... You know, see if you can start to take something that maybe you've uh, used forever. Maybe an idea or a cue, whether it's a verbal cue or an imagery cue or it's a, you know, a hands-on cue that you've been given and that you've been using. And maybe, maybe you've always kind of thought it wasn't the best thing or maybe you've suspected that there was something better or maybe you... Maybe you don't question it at all. Maybe take something that you feel like really, really sure about and see if you can start to unpack that a little bit and start to ask some questions and start with this question. What am I trying to get the body to do? What do I really want the body to do here? What am I trying to achieve? And is this cue actually achieving it? What does this cue say to the body? What does it do? What does my language do? What does my touch do? How am I informing? Do I really want the, the spine to flex here or extend here? Or do I really want the collarbones to be wide? What happens with the arms? What happens? You know, start to just unpack something. Choose something for yourself to begin to question and, and kind of create your own neon sign to follow. If you're really feeling brave and courageous, you might choose something that you hold really sacred, that you think, this is, I believe this to be true without any shadow of a doubt, and and I would just challenge you to question that in a, in a really soft and compassionate way, but start to, just start to question it and, and go down that path and follow that neon sign and see what's there and practice discernment and see what that's like for you. So... Thanks, Trinity, for joining me this morning. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you in all kinds of really cool ways and having you on the podcast again. And it's very cool that this is going to be a regular a regular deal for us. So thanks again. Um, awesome, awesome topic and uh, awesome article. So you guys are going to have to make sure you check that out too on the blog. But we'll give you all of those notes 
So I think that's it for us for now. Thanks, Trinity. Thank you so much, Chantel. It's really wonderful. You're welcome. So there you have it. In no way the end of the conversation. A bit of a continuation of some thoughts that Deborah and I have brought to the table before. And definitely some things to really dig your teeth into. What we'd like to share with you now are some of the resources we mentioned during the conversation. And in the show notes, you're going to find links to the following things. Three Most Dangerous Cues webinar. That's part one, two, and three. The Fearless Teaching article. Trinity's blog post called Discernment and Integration. Episode 26 of the Thinking Pilates podcast where we start to talk about discernment that's called From Mimicry to Original Thought, How Does It Happen? And episode 27, When Change Hits the Fan, Discerning in the Big Picture. We've also got a great pro tip to share with you that will give you a more direct opportunity to question the way you do and teach one of the most cherished Pilates exercises. But first, we want to highlight our heroes. Now, as the co-host of today's show, I asked Trinity to choose who or what she wanted to share in this section. And her answer was so totally perfect, but not at all where my head was. So here's what she suggested and why. The program that you created, the 28-day course, it's based on uh, self-care and self-practice. You, It's a course that you run through Scopal Teaching, and I have the pleasure of co-facilitating it with you. Uh, we offer this course about four times a year, so we happen to be in the middle of our January course right now, and... The teachers who take this course are who immediately are coming to my mind in this moment. They, um, many of them, as far as the first time they take it, um, are showing up not knowing what the course is, <laughs> not knowing what's going to be asked of them, um, not really knowing how they're going to have to be show, you know, how they will have to show up. And they show up in this really amazing, incredible way. It can be very vulnerable work. It definitely um, asks us as participant, as participants in the course to dig pretty deep into, um, uh, into ourselves, essentially, in order to uh, really connect with who we are as a teacher, really connect with who we are um, as people, and then turn around and offer offer that person who we are um, back to our students. So whether the teachers are taking the course for the first time or those teachers who decide to take it again, we have some students, uh, excuse me, teachers that take it multiple times, they're just so willing to show up and do incredibly vulnerable work and let themselves be revealed to a community of teachers that uh, in a lot of instances, they don't know. They mm -hmm. don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. And they're showing up for themselves. They're showing up for each other. And they're showing up uh, in a way that they, they can take this work back to their back to the studio and back to their students. And uh, I just think it's super brave and super courageous, which Chantel is a word that you have um have uh, used to sort of plant a seed for us in the in the course this time around. Mm -hmm. It's just so incredibly courageous to show up for this type of work and to, um, you know, for for yourself in the effort of showing up for everyone else. Mm. Um, so that's 
that's really what what comes to mind for me immediately. I mean, these people aren't necessarily that type of hero that like I could I could like turn you on to them like, oh, man, you're gonna be so amazed by this person or (laughs) you should definitely work with this person or, you know, I I mean, there is a potential, I guess, but they're not in the they're not necessarily in the in the limelight type of hero, but they're they're quietly doing this really, really incredible work. And I just think it's amazing. And I'm very, very grateful to be able to work with these teachers because as they're learning, you know, being a co-facilitator, I get to learn from them. Uh, and it's, it's pretty darn amazing. Yeah. And when you said that, when you mentioned that to me the first time, I thought, oh, that's not really what I'm thinking. But, oh, my God, <laughs> it's so true. And I do think, actually, you know, it's like they're the, they're, this is a little bit cheesy, but it's like they're the quiet heroes. And I do think that they're setting an example for other teachers to to jump into this kind of work. And we have, I don't even know how many times done this course now. I mean, I think this Uh is maybe my 11th time over the last three or so years of doing this course. And the profound results that people are getting is humbling and shocking. And, and it's not, you know, it's, it's simple and it's, it is courageous, I think. So, so I'm, I'm in full support of that, of that suggestion. And if you guys are listening, you're rock stars. And if you have done the course <laughs> before, you're a rock star. It's pretty damn cool. It really is. You know, we can, we can take the comprehensive training and test out. We can take the PMA test. We can open our own studios. We can go to work as um, independent contractors. Um, and, you know, like, do all the stuff, right? Like do all the stuff to follow this path into being a Pilates teacher or movement teacher. Um, and it's, it's just so sweet and amazing that these people don't, don't potentially get stuck in, well, I've arrived. Like Mm -hmm, they keep, mm -hmm. they keep seeking and keep, uh, reconnecting with themselves and, you know, with risk of selling cheesy, keep coming (laughs) home to themselves, right? Like they just, they don't ever just, you know, get to that static place where they're done maybe, or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they just keep seeking and keep learning and it's just awe inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're riding the cheesy wagon together today. So good. (laughs) (laughs) There are your heroes. Another hero I thought you'd all enjoy, which in some way totally plays into being able to seek out our own answers and be authentic, is the infamous TED Talk presenter and social psychologist Amy Cuddy and her new book, Presence. Presence is straightforward and insightful, although not entirely astonishing if you're a movement teacher. However, what I have loved most about this book is that so much research is proving how the state of our body informs and influences changes even our sense of self, security, power, confidence, and how in turn these things help us face our most challenging moments. Here's a short excerpt I thought might entice you. The way you carry yourself is a source of personal power, the kind of power that is the key to presence. It's the key that allows you to unlock yourself, your abilities, your creativity, your courage, and even your generosity. It doesn't give you skills or talents you don't have, It helps you share the ones you do have. It doesn't make you smarter or better informed. It makes you more resilient and open. It doesn't change who you are. It allows you to be 
who you are. It's really quite a fabulous read. I'm about three quarters of the way through and I highly recommend it. Uh, you're going to find a link in the show notes to Amy's TED Talk. I think it was from 2012 and also a link to her book. So let's wrap up this episode with our pro tip. So because we wanted to encourage you to explore the idea of questioning, our pro tip for this episode looks at how you might change your perspective on one of our most loved and simultaneously loathed Pilates exercises. Of course, you know what I'm talking about. I can practically hear you all saying it from here. The hundred. So here are our suggestions. Here's how you might hear the hundred cued in a typical studio. From the starting position, lift and lengthen out, reaching the arms long, collarbones wide. Begin pumping the arms, inhaling for a count of five, exhaling for a count of five. With your exhalation, can you curl up a little higher? Obviously, we're missing some of the nuances, but that's the basic gist. Here's what we'd like to encourage you to do. So what if we simply omitted the cue of reaching the arms and collarbones wide and instead focused on creating spinal flexion that is deeply supported from the back body, which has the potential to relieve some tension in the throat and shoulders and improve breath. Something like, when you begin to lengthen the legs out, soften the sternum downward and draw the ribs into the body, curling up from the initiation point. Allow the arms to lengthen and begin your pumping. The arms pumping works in a way that gets the circulation moving. What you may see when cueing with this focus is that the ribs moving toward the back body in a way that lends to the appearance of collarbones narrowing. However, how does the abdominal curl itself look? Does the spine look fully supported in flexion? So for us, coming into spinal flexion from supine with a strong cueing of the arms long and collarbones wide sometimes feels like we're working against ourselves. Also, consider starting the 100 knot from supine, which requires so much more of the body and not always in a good way, and come into the position from sitting or balance point, then rolling back, gradually coming into the hundreds with the shoulder blades and the ribs completely off the mat. Now, this is reminiscent of more a classical position for the hundreds with that deep scoop and imprint. Explore and ask for yourself whether or not the flexed position now feels more supported from the back body, the back of the hips, the legs, and the spinal extensors through eccentric contraction, and whether or not you still feel like you're hanging off the front body, which is our experience both in our own bodies and, and watching our students perform the hundred in general. Notice especially how the neck is behaving and if it's still fighting the pull against gravity or whether it's much more integrated into the full flexion of the spine. Now our experience is that this way of working into the hundred helps people find greater joy and value in the exercise and mo motivates them to work at it even harder. So we'd love to know what you think, hear your comments and questions, so please don't hesitate to connect with us, which brings me to our closing of the podcast. You can reach us at thinkingpilatespodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to the next time. Until then, breathe deep and teach well. All the things that make you sing and tap your little toes. Oh.